second reading for today comes from 1 Peter, reading from chapter 3, verses 8 through to 15. That can be found on page 1272 in most of your pew Bibles. Suffering for doing good. Finally, all of you, live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is, doing to, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and with respect. Here ends the word of the Lord. Thank you very much, Daniel. Let's, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray, Father, that you would help us to understand it, apply it in our hearts and lives. We pray that you give us attentive minds, receptive hearts, even in the midst of this warm weather, that you keep us alert to the things of you, Lord. I ask that you forgive me for my sins, and I want to thank you for the privilege and the honor to serve you and your precious people here and to preach your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, good morning. Right, it's good. Phew. Right, I know, I can see a lot of you fanning and uh, I've got a little fan that's working here. Maybe nice if this place was air-conditioned, right? Anyway, I won't go down that path. Well, let me begin this morning with a question. With a question. Now, I must say this, friends. I'll come back to the real question. I had kept my uh, notes on the computer, you know, in my office. And some wise member in my family, one of my kids, thought it's appropriate to add to my notes. And so, lo and behold, I don't want to embarrass who the kid is, but anyway, the question was I was going to ask is, let me begin this morning with a question, and this is what they've written after it. Get this. Do you think I am tank? Oh, can you believe that? That's not the question that I was going to ask you this morning. Right. Children, hey, children. Well, the question is really this one. If someone was to ask you why you are a Christian, what will you say? If someone was to ask you this morning, we leave this place, why are you a Christian, what will you say? Well, I want us to hold this question uh, for a moment because we will come back to it later. This morning, our text is 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense 
to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this, do it with gentleness and respect. I want to give you the context of this passage. It's a a fairly broad context here, and let me go through the context with you this morning before we proceed to the text. Uh, Peter gives us instructions about relationships, relationships within the church family. Uh, Peter says, finally, this phrase finally means to end, or it is the conclusion, to sum it all up. He's concluding the, he's not concluding the letter, but he's summing up what he has spoken about relationships. Relationships really matter in life. Relationships with civil authorities, relationships in the workplace with our bosses, relationships in the homes between wives and husbands. We looked at that last Sunday morning and some of the wives said to me, Chris, you only covered a little bit about the husbands. Well, I said, husbands, we don't need to have any instructions. We are perfect. We are great guys. We don't need it. Not really. I mean, come on. But you see, husbands and wives, the relationships there. And now he speaks about relationships within the church as to how we ought to deal with one another and how we need to respond to each other. And so Peter says in verse 8, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humbled mind. So Peter, in fact, uh, gives us... Uh, Four, in fact, five things that he uh, tells us here in this passage. He talks about the unity of mind. He speaks of sympathy. He speaks of brotherly love. He speaks of a tender heart. He speaks of a humble spirit. Now, let's just uh, briefly look at these things very quickly. Unity of mind. What does this mean, my friend? It means like-mindedness. It means that we think alike. Now, this does not mean that as Christians, we can't have different views about various matters. We do. In our session meetings, and our board meetings, at your leadership meetings, in your growth groups, you'll have people coming up with various different views on different issues. So, this does not mean that we don't think on issues. But rather, I think the understanding here in the passage is that we are to have unity of mind in terms of what I would call substantive doctrine. Let me explain that. That is that we are united in the fundamental and core beliefs of the Christian faith. For example, we believe that God created this world. Yes? We believe that the Bible is God's word. That's why when the Bible comes in, you might wonder why we're standing up. You're not standing up for me or John or whoever it is. We're standing up because it's been a tradition in this place for many years. The Bible has brought up people stand, recognizing not that we don't worship the Bible, but honoring the fact that it is God's word. All right? Now, you might agree with that tradition or not, but that's the reason for the purpose. That's why we do it. Okay, that Jesus is the sinless son of God. We believe that. We believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. We believe in the doctrine of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe that there is no other way to God except through Jesus Christ. So these are the fundamental and core beliefs of the Christian faith, and there is no room for negotiations on these core beliefs, right? On these things, we are to be of one mind. We are to be united in this. The second aspect here is sympathy. It, is, it means to feel with someone. It is to have compassion for someone. It is saying something like this, I feel your pain. I feel your hurts. I feel 
what you're going through, really, it's a difficult time for you. I feel your pain. The Apostle uh, Paul, writing to the Roman church, he said this, uh, we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Where we show sympathy. Then he speaks about brotherly love. And I don't want to expand on this thing. We've already looked at it in the past. It means a love for one another. Uh, 1 John chapter 4 verse 7 says this, Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. This speaks about a tender heart. And the root uh, of this word refers to one's internal organs. It is sometimes translated as your intestines. That's not a very pleasant thing, is it? It is kind of like you're moved from deep within to have a tender heart. It is a powerful kind of feeling that comes from deep within, especially when you observe the suffering of someone else. Have you ever been moved when you've seen the suffering of someone? Have you ever been moved from deep within yourself and you see somebody really going through a hard and difficult time in that person's life? I'm sure you have. Jesus had a tender heart. He wept when Lazarus died. And then there is also a humble spirit. It is one of humility. And so these five things combined together are essential ingredients for a healthy church family. For a healthy church family relationship within the church family. These are essential components within your family. Think about it. When you're tender-hearted, when you're humble, when you're thinking about the other person, think about these things. When you have unity of mind on doctrine and unity of mind when you start thinking and making decisions, these things are essential things for relationships. When they are practiced by the Spirit of God in the church, then what happens is that the church is able to exercise that ministry of togetherness in the gospel. Right? And such an important thing, isn't it? And so Peter says uh, to these people, to these, uh, uh, to, to these uh, scattered Christians, he also adds this, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for revival, but on the contrary, bless for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Now friends, how do you react when we are mistreated? Or when someone has spoken ill against you. How do you do it? For example, if you have been slandered, right? How do you react? Or if you receive a nasty email, you open your email inbox. Sometimes I don't want to open my emails first thing in the morning because I don't want my mind to be affected by anything else. But when I'm preparing a talk or sermon, I don't open my emails. It's around lunchtime, generally. Other times I get in early and I do it and then send a reply and I'm finished and I know I'm not going to handle any other things until later on. How do you respond to that? How do you respond when you get a, a text message that kind of blasts you? Okay? Or you get a Facebook comment that is so hurtful. You know, Facebook is a great thing, but I tell you what, Facebook can also do lots of damage, right? And put comments up there on your, on your wall and can create chaos. Perhaps the natural human reaction is to say, man, I'm going to get you. If you speak to me like that, bang, I'll get you as well. I'll send you a text back that will just rip you apart. Now, sometimes I've had to uh, write an email in the moment and I've left it in my box and not sent it. And I'll think about it, I'll pray about it and think, no. I need to hit the delete button because if this thing goes, I'll be chaos. <laughs> right. I have to think about it. 
that maybe you've done that as well. So we don't repay evil with evil, insult with insult. Right? We have to respond with a blessing. And this is radical living. And, the, and, and Peter, I want to work this one through uh, quickly. Peter refers to Psalm 34, the psalm that we read. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil let, and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good and so forth. The Psalm 34 was written when David was in much anguish. He was the anointed king by Samuel, but he was hiding from Saul. And Saul wanted to kill David, and he could have... But David spared Saul's life twice. David did not return evil with evil, but he trusted in the Lord. And so Psalm 34 begins with these wonderful words. What is it? Let's read it. So that I know you're with me. Come on. I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall continually be on my mouth. That's why this. Peter, Peter put this psalm in to, point that Christ, to, to make the point that Christians, instead of retaliating when wrongly treated, are to respond by giving a blessing and not taking revenge. You know why? Because the Apostle Paul says this, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. It's radical gospel living. And so it is within this context that we have this fantastic text here this morning. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense of the faith. This word means to sanctify. It means to make Christ as Lord in your hearts. So it could read this way, the Lord the Christ sanctify in your hearts. I prefer the second translation, which is sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Now what does this mean, my friends? It means to set apart Christ in our hearts. It means that Jesus will take priority in my life. I'll ask you this morning a question. I'll come to that in a moment, the question. You see, Isaiah chapter 8, 13 says this, But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. This is the passage that Peter is referring to right here, Isaiah eight thirteen, And he uses the personal name of God, Yahweh, for the word God. And by doing this, the theological reason is this. All right? Peter is using the word Lord from the Old Testament and connecting it with Jesus Christ and making the point that Jesus is God in the flesh, is full deity. We need to see that. But friends, the question for us this morning is, when God converts us, he gives us new hearts. He gives us new lives. He gives us new desires. He gives us new thinking. He gives us new priorities. Because what our heart loves, our minds will ponder and our wills will pursue. And to set aside Christ as Lord in our hearts will mean that we would long to get to know Jesus better. We will want to submit to Christ. I want to ask you a question this morning. Lots of questions. How serious are you about Jesus? How serious? Think about it. Are you really serious about Jesus? Is it possible at times to have a a little bit of Jesus? Okay? A little bit of Jesus to make me feel, oh, I've done the the good thing, you know, a bit of Jesus there. And a little bit of this, and a little bit of that. And our lives and our hearts are crowded with so many things that Jesus is somewhere there in the back room. 
It's like in our homes, isn't it? It's somewhere there in the shed, in the backyard. He's kept there and occasionally brought out. A little bit of Jesus today makes me feel, oh wow, I feel very good. And then Jesus go back to the shed because that's where you actually belong. Is that what it is? Is that how we operate? What does it mean to have Jesus as set apart in your heart? What does it mean to you? Is he having your everything? You see, when Jesus called people, what did he say? He didn't say, come and follow me. I'm going to give you multiple blessings. What did he say? Come follow me. Take up your cross. Deny yourself and follow me. You see, this is not some kind of a, a prosperity theology that says, come to Christ and man, you'll be sailing in life. That's not what it is. But it's giving Jesus that place in your heart and mind. It's not just that little bit of Jesus in the back shed. I bring him out once in a way and Lord, you go back there again because if you come too close to me, it's a bit uncomfortable for me. I feel a bit, I'm not in my zone. I'm not in my comfort zone. So stay there and that's good. Friends, the Lord knows your heart. I don't know it. He knows my heart. How serious. Where does Jesus have a place in your heart this morning? Are you honoring Christ in your life? Are you saying this morning, I want to put Jesus first and everything else after that? Am I honoring Christ in my lifestyle? That's what matters. You see, you can honor Christ by letting, letting him start controlling your life, your priorities, your decisions, your spending time with God. You can honor Christ by your wallets. I had a pastor who said to me, when God touches the heart, he'll touch your purse. See, we don't talk so much about money in this church, and people have told me that. But I trust that if God has touched your heart, right, that you will, that you will let him touch your purse. Because to honor Christ, it means I will honor him also with everything that he has given me. To honor Christ means I will thank him for all the gifts and the talents that he's given me. If I can sing, I will sing. I'm not saying for myself, I don't have that gift. But if others can use other gifts, use it because you're honoring Christ in your life. You see what I'm saying? Is Christ honored in your home? You know, I visit so many homes and we read this thing, Christ is the head of this home, the unseen guest at every meal and silent listener to every conversation. It's all there. It's great. But it's nice to keep it on the wall, isn't it? Right? That's a nice thing on the wall. Wow, man! That is great. What about in real practice? The thing on the wall does nothing. Might remind us. You see? Honoring Christ, friends. See, and, 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 and Peter says this, set apart Christ as Lord in our lives so that we are to be ready to share the good news of this gospel. The word that is used here, always be prepared to make a defense. The word that is used here is the word apology, from which we get this word, we don't apologize for our faith. From this word, we get this word apologetics, which comes from this word, which means to act, the act of making a defense or to provide legal testimony. Apologetics refers to the defense of the gospel in this instance. 
And Peter says, be ready to have a defense of the hope that we Christians have in Christ. An apologist is someone who is prepared to defend the message and to give evidence of its credibility. All right, I'm going to expand on that in a moment. Uh, Cornelius Wantil, one of the, the books that I studied in uh, doing apologetics, is, is a great writer and he says this, two opposing principles of interpretation. He talks about two opposing principles of interpretation. He explains the Christian principle of interpretation is based upon the assumption of God as the final and self-contained reference point. Okay, The non-Christian principle of interpretation is that man is the self-contained and final and self-contained individual. Our reference point is not man. Our reference point is God. To the Christian, God is the final self-contained point of reference. right? And so people ask questions. Where did God come from? Right? Do you have that question asked of you? Hey, you guys, prove it. It's nothing to prove, my dear friends. The point of reference for us is God says, I am who I am. I created this world. That's it. Now, yes, I can understand the arguments and I got books. Uh, Somebody wanted a book from me last week. I've got a book for this person. Uh, Come and see me. You know who I'm talking to. I've got the book about how to share this gospel to your non-Christian friends. Okay? You see, our point of reference is God. There is no other. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason of the hope that you have. You see, Peter's motto is like the Boy Scouts' motto. What is the Boy Scouts' motto? Be prepared. (laughs) All right? Be prepared. There is something okay. This motto can be shortened to two letters, BP. Right? Not British Petroleum, but it's BP. <laughs> it means, uh, right, from Robert Baden Powell, who, who established the, the, the Scout Movement, and he signed off his name as BP, be prepared. And as Christians, friends, remember these two letters, BP, be prepared. Be prepared for what? Be prepared to be a witness for Christ. Our preparation is to make us ready to be able to give a defense and a reason for the hope that is in us. Imagine, imagine today, if you were dragged in front of a judge and you were on trial for being a Christian this morning and the judge would ask you why you are a Christian, what will you say? Will there be sufficient evidence to convict you that you are a Christian? Will there be? Or say your neighbor, the guy down the road or the lady down the road, the guy who's putting, or somebody who's doing their work in their backyards with their lawn mowers. The guy comes up and talks to you and says, hey, I see you going to church on Sundays. What's happening? Where are you going every Sunday? Oh, I'm going to church. Why? I'm a Christian. Why? And can you explain it? Can you explain this gospel? And Peter says, notice this one word, always. Always be prepared, be ready, whether in a formal courtroom setting or informally to make the defense of, to anyone who asks you for a reason, and this is the key, friends, a reason for the hope that is in you. Notice Peter says the reason. The word that is used here in the Greek text is the word logos, meaning word, but this word can also be translated as logic. right? And this word means reason. 
and you look into this word and you see and you look at the history of Christianity and apologetics, you see people like Justin Martyr and Augustine who wrote extensively on the defense of the Christian faith, making the point that Christianity is both rational, there is reason to it, and it is based on facts. We believe in Christ by faith, but also on the basis of fact. Alright? That's faith and facts. Okay? Remember this. It's so important. Uh, Dr. Asi is proud. I like this quote. It says this, When we become Christians, we do not leave our mind in the parking lot. Have you left? I'm sure you haven't left your mind in the parking lot, right? We are called to think according to God's word, to seek the mind of Christ and an understanding of the things set forth in sacred scripture. We need to show, my dear friends, in a positive manner that the claims of the Christian faith are indeed intellectually defensible and rationally justifiable when applied by faith. I want to emphasize that because sometimes people say it's all about feelings, right? And it's good, isn't it? It's good to have feelings, right? God has made us that way. But what happens when our feelings change from one moment to another? Does the Christian gospel go out as well? No. Right? It is based on facts. Right? Remember this. God says, I love you. It's a fact. God says, I sent my son to die for you on the cross. It's a fact. God says, my son has been raised from the dead. It's a fact. Jesus was ascended into heaven. Eyewitnesses saw it. A fact. The fact that Christ will return, we're waiting for that. These are not empty things. These are real deep things of God. And Peter links this rationality to hope. And uh, this word hope, we've already been through this. Uh, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope. Friends, how about your hope this morning? Is your hope firm and secure? Anchored in Christ? Are you safe and secure in the love of Jesus Christ this morning? You see, this is why the resurrection of Christ is the most important thing. If Jesus did not die and rise from the dead, then there is no apologetics. What are we to speak about? We speak about a dead man? No. We have a great Savior. I want to encourage you in your walk with Jesus this morning. Right? There might be your non-Christian friends who might say, hey, you guys are crazy. You're a You don't understand what you're doing. I want to say that our faith is based on hope. And so we need to share this gospel, the crowning proof. How about sharing the gospel, friends? How does that happen in our lives? Where is our hope when it comes to the definite things of God? You know, last week, how many of you have seen this guy on TV, right? Come on. You know the famous last words when he signs off? Peter Harvey, Canberra. The, The journalist. Right? Um, this is what he said. He died at uh, eight. most, I, I don't know whether some of you young people will know him, but he's a, a TV journalist for many, many years. Uh, he's still about and the Anglican Church uh, in Sydney. He's, he said this, death comes to us all. This is uh, Claire Harvey, the journalist's uh, daughter writing. Death, he says, she says this about what her father said. Death comes to us all, my dad said, many times during his life. But hopefully, in my case, it will take its time. It did not. He died at 65 or 67. Right? I want to say this, friends. 
You see, when we put our faith and trust in the hope of the living Savior, no matter what age death may come our way, we will be with Jesus. Where? 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 When God calls you home, where will you be, my dear friends? In? Where? Heaven. Yes, that's where we will be. Because God calls us to an eternal hope. It is tied up in heaven. Death is not the end. And when we share a gospel, we share a message of hope into a dying world. Our defense of the faith and the reason for hope we have is to be shared to anyone who asks us with gentleness and reverence. That is with meekness, with humility. Not overbearing, not domineering, not going and saying, hey, you guy there, you better listen to me, man. If you don't listen to me, you're going to... And you start Bible bashing the person. That doesn't help. We don't need to be lawyers. We need to be... No offense to any lawyers here including my son-in-law. But the, we are not there to do that. We are, we are here in this instance to share the reason of our hope. When somebody asked me, and we will come to that in a moment, she said, to, be, to, doing this, to do this respectfully and not overbearing because our idea is to win the person over for Christ. Is, it, is, is not that the case? You might try and win the argument and you lost the person. At the end of the day, there is a place for good debates and the great debate and so forth. You know about those things. If you look at the history of apologetics, which is such a fantastic uh, subject. Right? Our idea is to win the person over by God's grace, not the, not the argument itself. And we have to share our hope. And so what difference has Jesus made in your life? If he has then, my dear friends, a good way of preparing to share the, the hope that you have with others is to start building relationships with people. Right, John and myself, we were discussing this every week when we meet we, last week. How are we to form relationships with non-Christians outside of the church? You see how comfortable it is for a pastor when you want to be in the church family. It's a very nice place to be, isn't it? We don't, we don't meet people. We, don't, can't, can't. we need to be out there. I need to be out there. John needs to be out there. You are out there. You're meeting people, building relationships with your non-Christian family and friends, and you're getting to know them, right? In your schools, at university, they are people friends. And most people come to faith in Christ through hearing the gospel explained by a person they trust and know and have built a relationship with. How many of us have non-Christian friends? How many of us, in fact, open up our homes Right? God has blessed us with homes. He has blessed us with food. How many times have you opened up your home and said, come have a meal with me. Come have a piece of cake with me, a scone with me, whatever. And just let's talk, inviting us home. You see what I'm saying? Do we even know our neighbors? It's a weird society we live in. People are living in gated complex. You don't see them. They press the button, the, door, the gates open. They go in, press the button, the gate is closed. You don't, I don't even see some of my neighbors. They're like, coming in and out, closed. <laughs> don't know who's living next door. I'm not saying, I'm generally speaking, right? So when we go and speak to people, you've got to press the button and they look through this little thing and, oh, that guy, I want to open the door for him. You see? How are we to do this, friends? Pray that God would give you a heart for specific people. Write down their names. 
That includes for myself. I'm going to write down names so that I can pray for them regularly. Seek them out to love and care for them. And the reality is this, that when you become a Christian, when you became a Christian, you were bought with a price, the blood of Christ, and you are a new humanity for a brand new purpose. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. Whatever you do, wherever you go, you are going to be a witness for Jesus and you are, to, you are part of his humanity, the new humanity in Christ. We are on team Jesus. Alright? BP and we are on team Jesus. Are you on team Jesus this morning? I heard someone say yes. Good. Alright, I hope you say a resounding yes, team Jesus. Because that's what we're on about, friends. And, and understand who you are. And I pray that we as a church will be a family that is being on mission. Being on mission. Sharing our faith can be very challenging. But let us pray for openings to speak the good news into the lives of others. Begin with your own testimony of what Christ has done for you. And I want to challenge you this morning to sit down and to write your own testimony as a start. Write it down. Right? Read it through. And somebody asks you, tell me why are you a Christian? Well, this is why. This is why I have the hope. Because I was lost and God brought me into salvation amazingly, etc., etc. So I want to encourage us to step outside of our comfort zone. Share Jesus with those inside of your circle of influence. And even invite them to Sunday services. We have the coffee house. We have a fantastic coffee machine that was donated free to the church. We hope we can get that machine going this evening. Right? A generous gift donated thousands of dollars to this church. It's all been plumbed up and connected. I understand all we need is the coffee beans. And I'll be there with a latte tonight if it works. The point is this. Forget about all of that. Come. Encourage. Evangelistic message. Friends. Are you on fire for Christ? Is Christ honored in your life or is he in the shed? (laughs) See, we need to let the Holy Spirit to supernaturally empower us to be witnesses for Jesus. I began this message this morning with this question. If someone was to ask you why you are a Christian, what would you say? What would you say? Maybe there's someone here this morning who is still not a believer in Jesus Christ. And God is speaking to you specifically this morning. And he's zooming in into your heart. And he's saying, I have loved you. I have sent my son to die on the cross for you. I want you to be my child. Come. And if there's anyone here who wants to know more about Christ, please come and see me, see John, see one of the elders. We would love to talk to you. We are praying for conversions. And you know something? I want to close with this. My heart is moved every time, every time I see so many people passing by and don't know Christ. You think about it. Right? You think about it. When's the last time? You shared the gospel with someone. When was the last time? When was the last time that I did it? Are we serious about Christ? Are we serious about this hope? I pray God will help us. Right? Encourage us this morning to share that hope.
Best News ever. Amen. Heavenly Father,